Can you return to a fulfilling, challenging and successful career after a long career break? After listening to this collection of returner stories, we hope your answer will be a resounding yes. I'm Karen. And I'm Liz. We're both coaches with Women Returners, the Return to Work Specialists. We work with employers and career returners to enable professionals to return to satisfying and fulfilling work after career breaks of two, five or 15 plus years. Over the years, we've coached hundreds of career returners and we're excited to share some of their inspirational stories with you. On our Career Returners podcast, you'll hear from a diverse range of people who are successfully back at work after taking long career breaks for childcare, eldercare, health, relocation or other reasons. They share the ups and downs of their return to work journeys, the challenges, the rewards and their learnings. After each story, Liz and I will chat over some of the key themes that emerged and share some of our top return to work tips. A big thank you to JP Morgan for supporting us to bring this podcast to life. Now in its ninth year, the JP Morgan re-entry program offers experienced professionals who've taken a career break of at least two years the support and resources they need to relaunch their careers. Currently running in the UK, US, Europe, India, Singapore and Hong Kong, JP Morgan's re-entry programme provides a fully supported transition back to work. In keeping with the international reach of their programme, in Series 2 of our podcast, we've captured stories of returners returning to work both in the UK and in other countries. After listening to this episode, do head along to womenreturners.com where you'll find lots of advice, over 100 success stories and a range of return to work opportunities for people on a career break wanting to get back to work. And do also sign up to our free network and Facebook group for extra support and connection. And now over to this week's guest. I'm pleased to introduce today's guest, Caroline Deodar. Caroline qualified as a doctor in the UK in 2013. Following the birth of her first child, she moved to Singapore with her husband after he was offered a job opportunity there and later moved to Australia where she had her second child. After a career break of three years, Caroline was ready to return to medical practice but found the journey back to work more challenging than hoped. Speaking to contacts out there helped open up opportunities and Caroline was able to secure a return to practice plan that enabled her to resume her career in Australia. However, after two and a half years of not seeing her family over the pandemic, Caroline decided to return back to the UK and is now currently retraining as a GP. Caroline, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So you qualified as a doctor in the UK. Tell us a little bit about your medical career before you took your first career break. I did F1 and F2, which is sort of the mandatory two years that everybody has to do after graduating to get your full registration. And then I actually started training as a GP at that point. And although there were parts of it that I enjoyed, I sort of felt very out of my depth and I really wasn't sure about you know, whether, whether I even wanted to continue practicing as a doctor long term. You did your initial training. What were the elements of it that you did enjoy? 
I think I've always really enjoyed the interactions that you have with patients. I think, you know, one of the really privileged things about being a doctor is that you're there at some of the sort of most intimate and defining points of people's lives. And I think that's something that I will never ever get tired of or will ever sort of stop ceasing to feel is, you know, a privilege to be be involved in. What sort of prompted your thinking about going into GP training? I genuinely didn't know what to do. And I sort of started F1, F2 thinking that I might want to be a surgeon. And I had a really surgical F2 year that was just the complete opposite to what I'd expected it to be. It um, was just nothing that I would have wanted from my career in the long term. And I think by the end of that, I was just very disillusioned. And I suppose GP felt like it encompasses a bit of everything. And in absence of sort of knowing what pathway I'd want to go down within the hospital, it just kind of was was almost the easy option, which obviously is not the easy option at all. <laughs> it's, you know, incredibly full on. But um, like I say, at that point, I didn't really know what to do for the best. Sounds like there was a lot to think about, Caroline, a lot to sort of weigh up and decide. And um, like you say, you were sort of starting out in your career and and getting those qualifications. What was it that prompted you to take your career break? Well, so I was pregnant with my son when my husband got offered the job in Singapore. And my initial reaction was, oh, this is absolute madness. You know, I am in the middle of my GP training. I cannot possibly have a baby and move to Singapore But then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, actually, it is a good opportunity to take some time and to sort of restock and to figure out what I might want to do. And I very, very briefly looked into it and it looked like it would be possible for me to return to work in Singapore at that time. So I sort of thought, well, you know, let's go. I'm going to be on maternity leave ever. If I hate it, we can come back and it won't have affected things Uh, It's kind of a bit of a sliding doors moment, really, isn't it? That, you know, you've got this amazing opportunity, which is slightly mad. And you think, well, if I don't do it, I'm going to be wondering what if forever. So, yeah, I mean, it it took several months for us to decide that we were definitely going to to go for it. But in the end, it, it felt like a slightly crazy, but as good a time as any to try something like that. And it also gives you that sort of space to think about what you wanted to do as well. So tell us, what, what was it like living in Singapore? You had a little a little baby with you. Um, yeah. How did you find the, that time? Oh, I mean, it was just like nothing I'd ever experienced before. I, I still don't really know how to describe Singapore life now. I mean, going there as an expat, it's just a very, very different life to how most people live, in all honesty. I left with a 10-week-old baby, so, you know, it was just (laughs) a crazy mix of nappies (laughs) and hormones and trying to breastfeed and breastfeeding being a bit of a disaster and, you know, nothing fitting. And then suddenly I'm in this incredibly hot climate and wondering what on earth I wear and everything was turned on its head. And then so many of the people that you meet there are, you know, they've, they've settled there. It's really common to have live in help. You know, even women who are staying at home with their children actually end up having a lot of time to go out and do other things and to socialise. It was just a completely different experience. And is that what you did, Caroline? Did you follow the same sort of pattern and have support or did you do it differently? Initially, no. So I was really reluctant to to sort of go down that route because, you know, you have somebody living in your house full time, which is is pretty full on. 
But the problem in Singapore is that because most people have living help, it's seen as a bit almost frowned upon to take your child with you to a doctor's appointment or to go out in the evening and just just because people don't don't need to. And you sort of, over time, people that you meet who are you're wanting to socialise with are sort of so used to being able to drop everything and just go out in an evening because they've got somebody at home that it actually makes things quite difficult. So for the second year that we were there, we did have some help. And I mean, it's one of those things that time I found it quite hard having somebody live with us. Now I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness, please come back. (laughs) 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 I miss you. Um, Yeah, so it's another, another very culturally different thing there. When you look back at that period in Singapore, you know, going out with a tiny baby, not having that support network... Well, how do you feel feel about that period? What skills do you think you developed during that time? What Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think there's sometimes in life when you're either going to sink or swim. And it was definitely one of those situations where actually I just had to be like, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to get on with this. And it ended up being a really good thing for me. I became so much more confident than I ever was before because of having to to go out and push myself. I became much more willing to try new things and it was a really good time for sort of finding out a bit about what I actually do and don't enjoy and how I wanted to live my life. And I think I learned a lot about myself and that's definitely helped with planning my career going forwards. What were some of those things that you learned about yourself? So it's it's going to sound silly, but I realised that I wanted to work in the end. At first it was nice to be off, but... um, I realised that it was really important to me to have a career and to bring in my own income and to have something that was for me. Um, I got really into fitness while I was living there as well, having never been somebody that exercised before in my life. There was a gym across the road from me that sort of did a combination of, you know, weightlifting and um, interval training and things. And they were offering a two-week trial, so I sort of wandered in there one day and thought, you know what, why not? Let's give this a go. And I stuck with it. And it's definitely something that sort of transformed my habits. And I still regularly exercise now, not as much as obviously when I didn't have a job. But um, that's something that's really changed for me as well. Some really interesting cultural differences there. It's it's great to hear about that. And I'm interested to explore with you. You know, you then moved again with your husband's work. And this time you relocated to Australia. So tell us about that. How was that shift different for you? And what did you learn during that time? Yeah, so that was definitely an easier move. I studied um, for three months in Sydney as part of my medical degree. And then we'd been back on holiday when we were living in Singapore. And then we also did another trip so I was pregnant at that point. So we sort of went to have a look at where we might, we might want to live and to find an obstetrician. So I sort of was a lot more prepared for that move, I think, in that I knew what I was getting myself into. We were very supportive with living in the service department, with having help to find somewhere to live, with having all of our stuff packed up and then moved over and unpacked at the other end which wasn't something that we had coming back to the UK. But those sort of practical things mean that that side is all sorted for you. So you only have to focus on the getting to grips with life in a new place. And we had more knowledge of the place. So yeah, it was much, much easier. 
obviously at that point I was pregnant. So I was really focused on the fact that I was having the second baby and that then we were going to be a family with multiple children and, you know, settling my son in and making sure my son was okay and preparing for the new baby and all of that stuff that you do, you know, when you're trying to prepare your darling oldest only child for, you know, the impending uh, wrecking ball that's about to hit the world. So, yeah, a very different experience to moving to Singapore. In the end, you ended up having a three-year career break and you, you sort of talked about actually quite welcoming that space to think and reflect about what you might want to do work-wise. Where did you land at the end of that time? So I I think the first year off, I didn't really have any interest in going back to work. Then I started to look into it in Singapore. And at that point, the regulations had changed and they were no longer employing overseas doctors into the hospital system, which was a very new thing and meant that then I was stuck and was unable to go back to work there. And I think over that second year that I knew that I needed to do something for myself and I was trying to figure out what that would be and how to make it all work. And ultimately Australia came about because it was either move back to the UK to resume my career or go somewhere else where I knew I could work. Even though I didn't know how I would get back to work, I knew that it would technically be possible there. So by the time we got back to Australia, I'd considered quite a few options. I'd considered leaving medical practice altogether But the more that time went on, the more that I realised that I missed it and the more that I realised I actually really did want to be a doctor and all of my efforts then became focused on how to get back into medical practice there. The job that I took was actually, after saying everything about work-life balance and wanting to be around for the children, I took a job in obstetrics and gynaecology, which is um, (laughs) (laughs) the complete opposite of that. But... I think I'd realised that it was something that might quite suit me in terms of skills and I suppose I just wanted to try it for myself and to see what it would be like. So I was really lucky to get that job. Tell us how you got it. Ah, so so it wasn't easy. I started looking into going back to work and I initially went through recruitment agencies and everybody said, you've been out of practice for far too long, nobody's going to employ you, go back to your own country. And I was like, well, I can't really do that because, you know, we live here now, so that's not going not gonna to work. And I eventually got an interview for another job and interviewed for that and then didn't get it, which really, really crushed me because I sort of thought it was my one chance and that hadn't worked out. And I think I just sort of hit the point where I realised I was going to have to actually really fight for it if it was what I wanted And I reached out to literally everybody that I knew. I spoke to some people via, um, it was an Australian Medical Mums Facebook group. So I reached out on there. And through that, I got put in touch with other people. And it was a bit of a friend of a friend of a friend type situation in the end. But I was told that the hospital that I worked at was short, that they needed um, some juniors in obstetrics and gynaecology, and they put me in touch with the senior registrar in charge of recruitment there. And she was just this lovely, lovely, sort of down-to-earth, very welcoming individual who said, absolutely, we'll sort out all of this paperwork for you. We'll do your return to practice. It's not, not a problem at all. All I really want is an extra pair of hands in antenatal clinic for the next few months. And I was like, well, I'm I'm sure sure I could do that. So it took a long time to get everything together. But in short, I got the job. 
started there when Willow was almost seven months old. And um, yeah, that was sort of the beginning of the next chapter, really. It sounds like, you know, like you say, you had to, you had to pull yourself out and be really proactive in terms of making that happen because you met quite a lot of resistance and challenges along the way. And it it, it takes a lot of personal strength, doesn't it, to pull up on that and think, no, I'm going to take action, connect with those Facebook groups. And thankfully you met that lovely woman um, and, and the opportunity was created. So tell us about your first few months back at work, Caroline, you know, what was that like? So I initially went back three days a week, which again was really, really kind of them to do that. And because of having to fulfill some return to practice requirements, I initially didn't have to be on the on-call rotor either. So it was actually perfect in that I got three days, eight till 5.30, and that was it. So it worked quite well. I was so incredibly nervous before going back. And I think I spent the first couple of weeks just sort of, you know, on edge, shaking, probably being incredibly weird, you know, with nerves and everything. But it was surprisingly easy to go back. And in a way, it was almost like I'd never left. And I found myself picking up the procedures that I'd done as a, as a junior doctor without any difficulty at all. And then I realized that I was really enjoying it and I was very motivated to learn and to read things in my spare time. And I started asking to be involved in other things that were going on. And yeah, it just all sort of went from there. And I upskilled very, very quickly, which was a surprise to everybody, but I think me most of all. And I think I was just in such a different headspace as well that it actually made that possible. I think I was more successful at the job than I would have been pre-career break. It's really interesting that you say that. What what do you think helped you to get ready for that? Did you do anything in particular to to prepare yourself for your return to work, sort of personally getting yourself in the right mindset or professionally in terms of upskilling? So I had to document that I'd done 50 hours of what's called continued professional development um, as part of my return to practice plan anyway. So I did an awful lot of online modules, various e-learning packages about things that were going to be relevant to the role. I also went and did an advanced life support course, which again is something that sort of most doctors will do in their first couple of years of training anyway. And I had done one previously, but I think for me doing that, it was um, a really fun day. And I think it just brought back those skills for managing an emergency and actually so I sort of knew when I got back to work that I could do that because I'd just done the course. I did talk to other doctors who had done a similar job about what the role involved and you know what to expect and I think that was helpful for being prepared and then in the first few weeks I was very open about the fact that I'd had a lot of time off and you know I think the thing I said most commonly was you know explain this to me really simply like I'm stupid I just don't (laughs) want to have not understood correctly and everyone was very supportive and I think that sort of also helped with getting those foundations down really quickly. It's the right time to ask questions when you first return isn't it? Exactly. It's being able to say you know explain things to me being open about the fact that you've taken a career break and wonderful that you have people that are supportive and that's what we find when we speak to returners you know everyone's pleasantly surprised by how supportive people are if you just reach out and ask for that help yeah absolutely and it's not something that I would have really expected but I think I had realized that actually I did have a lot to offer and that although I hadn't been doctoring during the time that I was off I'd done other things and I wasn't ashamed of having taken time out and 
I suppose, again, that fundamental increase in confidence, I'd stopped feeling like I didn't belong, that I didn't have a right to be there. So I felt that if anybody had an issue, then it was their problem rather than mine. And therefore, I sort of felt okay about asking for help. A great reframe, a great, <laughs> a great um, shift in perspective, really, you know, a really important skill to, to have. Now, I know you told us, Caroline, that being apart from your family for two and a half years because of COVID, um, you know, that accelerated your decision to return to work um, in the UK. So what was your return to work sort of approach or strategy as you moved back to the UK? Well, that was actually much easier when you apply for specialty training in the UK, it's all done for, through a centralised online application system that goes in in sort of the no- November time year before. So I'd put in my applications. I also, I'd done quite a lot of extra stuff for my CV whilst I was in Australia and sort of polished that up. And so I wasn't too worried. And I think we came back in the February and then job offers came through at the end of end of March, if I remember correctly. So, and that was for an August start. So I had that lined up from very early on. I did think about trying to pick up some locum shifts before then, but it just took so long to get the children sorted and settled into school and the house sorted. And then we had other stuff going on at the same time as well. My husband's dad sadly passed away. So it was just all sort of too much. And actually there was enough else going on. And it sounds like it was actually a perfect window as well for you to come back. You know that you had the jobs, you know, sorted for September when the kids were back at school and you had that window to kind of resettle back in the UK. And I think even if, even when you're coming home, it's still a period of adjustment to kind of get everything sorted. So you started your GP training in September. How, how's it been going? Yeah. It's going really well. So the way that it's structured is that you do your first year in hospital and then you're years two and three in general practice. So I'm just coming to the end of my paediatric rotation at the moment, which I've absolutely loved. I've really surprised myself again. It's not something I'd ever considered doing beforehand. And now actually I feel that that's another thing that I could probably have done and, you know, enjoyed as a career. But I've just had my sign off for that and all the feedback's been really lovely. So yeah, it's going, it's going really well. (laughs) What do you think you've been able to bring to your job now you're back at work here in the UK as a result of all your experiences of both you know working and living in Singapore and in Australia what what has that added to the toolkit that you bring to work here? Oh that's a good question I think one of the things is that I've now worked in quite a few different departments in different places so that's given me a really good perspective for how things are done how things are run what could be made better yeah, I think I think that's been a been a real positive. I think I've got a really sort of broad range of experiences to draw on now, and that's that's also been really useful with the patients for sort of tailoring my consulting style to an individual. And um, I think really, I think I just feel a bit more grown up, which kind of sounds a really silly thing for a woman in her late thirties to be saying, <laughs> but. <laughs> I think before before I left, I just felt like I hadn't really done anything. And it, I mean, medicine's so full on as a career. It's so, the situations you find yourself in and the things that you deal with. And I just felt like I wasn't really enough of a grown-up to deal with half of those things. Whereas now I've sort of been out, seen the world a bit, done some of the stuff. And actually, all of that stuff is much more manageable. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, all of those travels, experiences, parenting, the whole thing, you arrive back and you think, yeah, I'm ready for this. And I, I love how you talk about how much you're enjoying what you're doing now and some surprises along the way about what you've ended up doing with your career. We're really interested to explore with you because we know you're a GP, you've got a really busy work schedule and you've got a young family, you know, so finding that sense of balance is a challenge. How have you found that? And what do you do to switch off, re-energize, look after yourself? Oh, great difficulty. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, I don't think I have it down at all. I mean, I think, as I said before, I sort of got a bit into fitness when I was in Singapore. And that, although I don't do anything like what I would like to be doing, I normally run or go on my spin bike a couple of times a week, do a bit of weightlifting, that sort of thing. So that's something that's really important for me for decompressing and settling down and sort of getting rid of all that adrenaline and everything. But it's it's very difficult to fit it in. You know, a lot of the time it's just small things like finding 10 minutes to sit down and paint my nails or, you know, have a cup of coffee in peace before the kids get up or, yeah, it's not easy at all. I think one thing that's really important to me is having some social connections outside of work and some of my old friendships from before we left have really strengthened and that's been lovely but actually a lot of the time it's family activities with the kids as well but I think for both me and my husband that's something that we really find sort of very recharging and um, yeah but yeah it's very much a work in progress. (laughs) No, we understand that well. But I think it's, the, it's yeah. the small things that are really important and they do, you know, they mount up and, you know, and I think sometimes if it's small, it, it, we feel that it's easier to fit in and we can do them without guilt and, and they do help. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So looking back now, Caroline, what are, what are the, some of the things that you are most proud of in your return to work journey? So both personally and professionally. I think I am... Um really proud of how far I've come. I mean, I think I'm a very different person to the person that left the UK. And I think that's been a really positive thing for me. I am a much better doctor for my experiences. And I think my sort of enjoyment of work and what I get out of it is just, it's just completely different. It's like night and day. I think overall, I'm much happier, much more settled, much more content with sort of where I'm at and where I'm going. I think personally what I'm proudest of is that sort of strength to manage a new country with a new baby and being a first-time mum. And when I look back, it sounds like an absolutely mad thing to have done, doesn't it? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think it really showed me what I was capable of. And, you know, it's also given us some amazing family stories. And my son still asks on an almost daily basis about, tell me about that time in Singapore, even though he can't remember, but he loves looking at the photos and things. Yeah, I think I'm just much more resilient, much more driven, but in a really, in a more healthy way, I think. I've realised that there's more out there and that although my career is really important to me and getting back to work was important, there's also so many other things in my life that I enjoy and that, you know, I need to sort of try and make space for. That's what makes you a well-rounded person, isn't it? Sometimes we can get too focused in, in one direction and it's, you know, it's taken that holistic view. And I love that your travels and experiences have helped you to mature and grow through that. What advice would you have for others on a career break who are considering returning to work, Caroline? The timeout can be so helpful for making you think about what you want out of your career 
And I think, I mean, for anybody who's thinking about going back to work and thinking that that's the right thing for them, then I say absolutely go for it. Keeping an open mind and knowing that you might have quite a different experience to how the workplace was before you left is quite important. It's not an easy path to take and it can be quite overwhelming trying to go back when you have been out for a while. But I think it's about those skills that you've gained when you're off, the things that you've done. I mean, if you've been off parenting and managing small children at home, is there anything harder, really? (laughs) (laughs) You know, the skills that you have as a result of that, the organisation, the multitasking, the ability to sort of come up with the goods to, you know, fend off an impending tantrum. (laughs) Ability to think on your feet does give you so much else that actually is really, really valuable in the workplace. So I think know your value, know that you've got things to offer. Good childcare makes all the difference, I think, and definitely sort of reduces stress. So I think definitely that is worth thinking about. Again, it's those little things that you can do to make your life a bit easier as well. Fundamentally, absolutely go for it. For us all, it's been a really positive thing, me going back. I think it's enabled my husband to be a much more hands-on dad than maybe he would have been when I was at home and he's got an incredible relationship with the children um, which I think part of that is you know looking after them on his own all weekend when I've been off on call or whatever so I think it's been a really really positive thing for our family. It's great and I love how enriching it is a sort of life enriching experience for all of you and how as a result of your career break you feel in a much better place. You're a much better doctor. You've got a much broader perspective. You feel that it's making a real tangible difference in your work now. So that's that's really fantastic and lovely advice as well to, to listeners in about keeping an open mind, being realistic, but also knowing your value. Um, I think it's a lovely message to leave our listeners with. So thank you so much, Caroline, for sharing your story with us today. It's been really great chatting to you and we wish you all the very best with the rest of your GP training. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely. What a great conversation with Caroline. Another brilliant return to work story and sadly the last one in this series. I have found this series so inspiring, Karen. We've enjoyed such a variety of conversations about the return to work journey and how best to navigate the inevitable bumps you will experience along the way. Our guests have shared many relatable tips about understanding your value, making use of the key skills learnt during your time on a career break, and of course, creating opportunities to help aid your return to work. Yeah, and in our latest conversation with Caroline, she talked about being unsure of her career direction pre-career break. She cited the time out and relocation to Singapore and then Australia as really giving her the time, the space and the confidence to help clarify exactly what she wanted to focus on in her career. It's this gratitude and appreciation for the career break that's really shone through for me, Liz, as a key theme in this series. Yeah, I totally agree. So many of our guests have expressed gratitude for their career break. And those breaks have ranged from two to 13 years across this series. Remember our conversation with Juhi Asnani in episode three, where she talked about her decision to take a longer career break when her family really needed her? Well, she positioned her break as an opportunity to become more present with her family and get some much needed balance and rest back. And this also helped her to prioritise and ring-fence work and home life when she did return to work. 
Yeah, and then there was Tamara Patera in episode one, who also shared her gratitude for being able to be with her children when they were young. She had no support network around her when she was living in Paris. And she described this time as having been one where she was in her element. Yeah. She found she really grew in confidence and resilience. And I loved when she described feeling more daring on her return to work, ready to take on leadership responsibility. Yeah, it's a total reframe, isn't it? And a very positive way to look at the career break. Another key theme for me has been the recognition of the skills and strengths that returners develop during their career break. And of course, the value these bring back in the workplace. In episode four, Helen Tunstall talked about taking a five-year career break to run a successful photography business. And when she returned to corporate life at Moody, she brought all the skills and strengths she'd learned from running her own business back with her. You know, things like the ability to work with different types of people, to understand their perspective and what they want to achieve. And there was also episode two with Alia Hajea, and she spoke of her career break as a period in her life, which really helped her to become much more adaptable, empathetic, resilient and confident. Yeah, I think many of our international returners talk to the skills they learned living and working across different countries and cultures, honing their listening and communication skills, as well as building their resilience and becoming increasingly adaptable and flexible, such valuable skills that serve them really well when they return to work. Yeah, and with this series international theme, many of our guests had relocated several times and some even more than others. And I'm thinking of Mariana Dooley, of course, in episode nine (laughs) with her 20 moves in 20 years. And it requires significant energy to project manage every change, every move, finding the right area to live, new schools, settling the family and the children into a new life, building a network and, of course, adapting to new cultures and new ways of living. And I think being organized, focused and reaching out to others for support and advice is another important theme which has come through from this series. Absolutely. And once our guests were ready to return to work, many agreed that creating an action plan really helped to keep them motivated and on track. Many spoke of the value of first taking some time to reflect on their career break and their pre-break work experience to help them explore what they might do next. I remember they spent time thinking about what interests them now and how that might fit with work opportunities. Mm -hmm. They talked about the strengths and the skills that they'd built pre-break, didn't they? And over their career break and which ones they wanted to use now going forwards. And they also reflected on the type of organisational culture they valued. And all of these things really helped them to focus their job search on the right roles and organisations. Yeah, yeah. And Claire Newman in episode six talked about making a prioritisation list to include all those things that are important to you now. Um, You know, as this may well have evolved significantly over the time that you've been away from the workplace. And there was also Harriet Rogers in episode seven, and she talked about the online insight events that really helped her to get a feel for different organisational cultures. Yeah, I think the power of networking really echoed across many of our returner stories, didn't it? I think reaching out to others, you know, to chat over your ideas, to get their input and to hear about opportunities or routes back to the type of work you're interested in can be so valuable. Yeah, it's, it's having your eyes and ears open, isn't it? And Tamara spoke about being visible and letting people know you want to return to work. So that could be friends, family, former colleagues, even parents at the school gates. If people don't know your intentions, then you can't give them the opportunity to help you. You know, you never know who people know and what doors might open. Yeah. 
Uh, she recommended attending industry events to stay up to date with sector developments and reconnect with former colleagues. And that was something critical, which really helped Tamara to find her next role. Yeah, and Alia also spoke of the benefits of joining a professional association. Mm -hmm. So finding a return to work mentor through a Women Into Construction network really helped her to find her way back to her career in engineering. Yeah. And I remember in episode five, Derek White also spoke about the power of networks as enabling him to grow his knowledge by being in touch with experts in their field and learning from them, something which he valued enormously whilst trying to build his expertise in a new country. And proactively reaching out to people after attending an event can also be really fruitful, as it was for Harriet, when, do you remember, she reached out to that presenter from BAE Systems, who ultimately offered her her next role. <laughs> exactly. You never know, do you? You never know where the opportunities are going to be. It's yeah. about being brave and, and connecting. Another theme which emerged for me was the importance of taking steps to upskill and how this was often a key element to our return of success. And Helen Mavoni Vostakova in episode eight spoke of the IT certifications that she took to help get up to date after a nine year career break. And we heard from Caroline in this episode of the hours of learning and continual professional development she did to gain her return to medical practice certificate. Many returners spoke of getting up to date in their sector through free on online courses, events, uh, reading industry publications, chatting to contacts who are currently working in the sector. And all of this helps to gain knowledge and context to chat about in an interview. Yeah, and I think if your experience is out of date or if you're looking to do something completely different when you return to work, building valuable experience through volunteering can really help you to test whether a proposed role or sector could be a good fit for you, as well as helping you to develop contacts in a new area. Yeah. And I think perhaps most importantly, Liz, it can really help you to rebuild your confidence after a career break and give you that vital experience to talk to in interview. Helen Vostakova shared how volunteering helped her to refresh her technical skills, to refine softer business skills, as well as help her to gain different perspectives. Yeah, all really valuable and interesting, isn't it? And I loved how many returners spoke of the importance of looking after yourself as well during the ups and downs of returning to work and how taking time to look look after your well-being should be top of your action plan instead of as we see is often the case it's quite far down mm. and Mariana shared how she made time for the little things that were free and gave her joy on her career break you know things like taking a walk having a phone call with a friend and um, painting her nails just simple activities that that gave her space and me time and it was lovely that when she returned to work, you know, she carved out time around work for those rituals that really helped to make her return to working life more balanced. And, and really importantly, we talk about this often, Karen, don't we? Sustainable. Yeah, I think that's the key, isn't it? And some final thoughts, I think, to leave you with once you land that role. Reassuringly, our guest shared how supportive they found their new workplaces to be. Mm -hmm. They all recommended asking lots of questions when you start to help you get your arms around your new role and organisation and proactively reaching out to different stakeholders to understand their roles and how they fit with yours can really help too. Yeah. And we loved that many of our guests talked about being champions for mm. returning professionals by talking about their career break with new colleagues and the skills and experience they gained during it. They could really help others to realise what a fantastic talent pool returners are. 
Yeah, there's no better advocate than, than returners once they've actually gone through that journey and experienced the success of being back. Yeah, absolutely. I think many shared how being planned and organised on a home front too can reap real dividends in smoothing that transition back to work. So, you know, consider setting up and trialling your childcare and school clubs well in advance so that you can feel confident everyone's settled in before you go back to work. And practical things like arranging weekly online grocery shops, doing some batch cooking at the weekends all of those you know were were really valued time savers and things that our guests talked about yeah I think that most importantly we want you to have faith so we know that that journey back to work can be bumpy but if you believe in the value you bring if you can reach out to others for support and just take that first step in your return to work the rest will flow from there Thank you for joining us today and we really hope that you feel encouraged to take the next step in your own return to work journey. If you haven't already, take a listen to episodes one to nine of this series and of course series one of the podcast. In both of these series, we have real life returners sharing the twists and turns of their stories to inspire you and fill you with ideas. Please do share the Career Returners podcast with friends and family who are looking to get back into their professional career. And when you get a moment, we'd love you to subscribe, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. A big thank you again to JP Morgan for supporting us to create this podcast series. JP Morgan has supported professionals on a career break to successfully return to work for many years and values the diversity, fresh perspective and wealth of experience that returning professionals can bring. Take a look at their successful re-entry programme if you're thinking about returning to work. And if you're looking for more advice and guidance in your own return to work journey, we're here to support you. Make sure you visit us at womenreturners.com and sign up to our free Women Returners professional network to hear about current returner opportunities and events, including our free monthly webinars for network members. And do join our growing community of returners in our Facebook group for valuable peer support. Thank you so much for joining us. And Liz and I wish you all the very best for your journey back to work.